Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Uh, it's first off, it's cold on the moon. It might be colder here. Uh, that's totally possible. Possible. Yeah. yeah, you're wrapped up in a house coat under a blanket. Mm-hmm. Even though we're warm in our home, it's very cold mm-hmm. on on planet Earth in the area of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Which means it's a perfect time to watch some Doctor Who from 1969. Very true. Yep, we watched episodes two and three of The Seeds of Death. Yes. Ostensibly written by Brian Hales, mm-hmm. who the creator of the Ice Warriors, but um Terrence Dix, the script editor, uh was doing heavy rewrites of uh, the first two episodes and basically they just paid Brian Hales off and so from here on in it's all Terrence Dix. Completely wrote them himself. Oh really? Yep. Oh. Well I I really like this story. Um I mean, I remember liking the whole thing. I don't have super strong memories of exactly what's going to happen, uh, but but watching it now for the second time, I'm just I'm enjoying it every bit as much as I did the first time, not knowing anything about what was going to happen. This is it, it cooks right along. Was the first time you watched it for Verity? Like you'd never seen it before that? Can you remember? Oh yeah, I had certainly. Well, I'm I hadn't seen it before I watched it for Verity. Uh, in any kind of memorable time. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have no idea what Patrick Troughton or um, even William Hartnell episodes I have, may have seen as a small child, but we definitely didn't have any of these um, on tape for me to watch again and again as a uh, teenager. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. It is. We, we, uh, we I, um, went through the broadcast history as much as I could find it of uh, KSPS TV in Spokane, Washington, because the PBS station there is the one that I watched Doctor Who on most of the 99.9% of the time in my youth. And I was able to piece together basically a history of my life and when I encountered Doctor Who. And it would be kind of cool. We should do that for the various stations that you watched Doctor Who on in your youth in, in Wisconsin. Well, we could do that, but I didn't necessarily see everything as it aired because I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom probably would have kept up on it pretty well. So that would have been a history of my mom's life at that time, much more than it would have been of mine. We need we need time travel to go back in time just to see when we watched Doctor Who for the first time. Just sneak a little uh, tiny little webcam into the living room of my parents' house just to just to keep an eye out. That's not creepy at all. No, no, not at all. I was thinking something a little less clandestine, like maybe, I don't know, tape recorder or something. <laughs> like say, like to monitor what you're taping on the VCR. Whichever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're enjoying this one, though. What what what, what aspects of, of this uh, story are you enjoying? Uh, uh, focus more around two and three, because that's what we saw today. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of it. Like there's, there's, there's a threat on the moon base. It's got that delightful base under siege feeling, but you also then have a few scenes here and there on, on earth where they don't know what at all, what is happening on the moon base. So it's kind of a, a neat, um, sort of dramatic irony thing going on. Like you, we know what's going on. They don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also the sort of the the past versus the the future rockets versus TMAT. I I still am enjoying sort of those two things kind of pushing back and forth against each other, especially in episode two where you've got the uh, the old professor or whatever um, not wanting to risk it. Eldred. Eldred. Yes, he must live. Um, <laughs> and uh, he you know he doesn't doesn't want to risk people's lives on this rocket that hasn't 
been fully tested and all that kind of stuff. And I do really like the scene with uh, Jamie and Zoe and the doctor where, you know, they're saying, Could, couldn't we just use the TARDIS? Well, then we'd end up a million miles or a million years off course. And the doctor's like, yeah, not so great for short hops or whatever. But then he just has this very sort of kind look on his face when Zoe says, but I do think we should help them. Mm-hmm. And he just sort of makes this this sweet little nod like, yep, you're right. And I agree. And I'm pleased with you that you think that we should help like it's like you can almost see on his face like i have you know picked the right people to to travel with me at this point these are these are good folks so then he turns around and that's when he he gets involved mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah even even jamie even though he doesn't quite know what to do yeah. still feels like it's important to help here yeah yeah this is just such a such a wonderful lovely tardis team i just i just appreciate them so much and jamie's insistence that he go along even though he doesn't have any special skills mm-hmm. um which i think is nice because you know i don't like splitting up this team at all no i don't like splitting them up but it's also true to the character you know even though he has traveled a lot now with with the doctor in various points in history and in time and space uh you know rocket travel is still not something that he's familiar with and they still they play that up you know what do we do here what's g4s you know to the point where zoe is very condescending towards him you know (laughs) here's the fuel thing when it goes to the top press the button okay do you think you can remember that and before they leave she's basically taunting him which Mm -hmm. is kind of funny um and it's also funny too because the way that it's staged they're not facing each other so Zoe can't see his face and the doctor can't quite see his face because he's facing away and Fraser Hines is doing a very nice job of looking like he is genuinely scared Mm -hmm. but trying to not look scared but still totally looking scared it's it's really a fun little piece of I I love the the set for the inside of the rocket it's it's accurate it's so much as a rocket from 1969 because they're all like you know they it, it, a lesser design would have it be like all three would be facing the camera essentially but Troughton has his back to the camera basically the whole time and has to turn his head to uh, talk to people but that's what it would be like in a cylindrical rocket like that maybe I don't actually know anything about space travel so I'm not so sure well mm-hmm. could. rockets are are most likely to I have a Lego set up there if you ever need to look at it there's a model right there you could you could check it out and it's round so that usually people are don't have facing the same way okay sure Mm -hmm. whatever you say yeah um so the moon base itself uh, is a is a fun place. That's a fun place to work because there's like all these crazy ramps that go up and down, yeah. mm-hmm. and there's like funhouse mirrors in the middle of hallways and stuff. Yeah, what what on earth is going on in this moon base? Like maybe mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you know if you're if you're stuck up there for for a while. Although you're really not because of TMAT, but uh, yeah. maybe originally when it was built, you're going to be stuck up there for a while. So you need to be able to have some diversions and some fun times. Mm-hmm. So we are going to build a funhouse. And and have some ramps and maybe, you know, you can ride your skateboards back and forth up and down these ramps and then you can go through the funhouse and laugh at yourself in the mirror. I don't know. This sounds like some sort of awful millennial internet startup company or something that so maybe that maybe that's what tmat was maybe tmat started out as one of these places you know we don't pay well but you can have fun at work you can bring your dog and play some paddle ball and stuff and run around in our funhouse room it'll be cool come work for tmat on the moon yeah 24 hour days that's probably what they sell it as too because when i don't know when that well they probably do um 
have shifts and stuff, but everyone there must like Fuchsia must be very tired because quite a lot of time has a lot of, I'm curious about the time differential because there's, there's stuff that's happening on the moon. Meanwhile, a rocket launch is going from argument to concept to reality within the space of an episode Mm -hmm. and they're up in the rocket like lickety split. That's true. Like they never really make it clear how much time has passed, but you also then have uh, in episode three, uh, the TMAC controllers saying that, you know, things are so bad, thousands of people are going to die, food supplies are not yeah. being transferred. And, like, if it was anywhere remotely like what the time that we're seeing on screen, like, you know, the, the average Doctor Who episode where you have cuts like this, would you know, it's, it's you know, a few hours or something like that. They don't make it seem like it's that much longer. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to starve in three hours. Like... You're not even going to starve in three days. Like, so it just, it seems like there must have been a lot more time passing working on all of this stuff. And yet you still have the doctor and Jamie and Zoe in the same clothes, which is always the thing that kind of makes me go, oh boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe just Radnor is just an alarmist. And like, you know, 20 minutes. So it's kind of basically like, you know, us during a power outage or like the cable or the internet's out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my God, what? Internet's down. It's been, what has it been? 17 minutes? Well, what do we do? What do we do without the internet for 17 minutes? Maybe that's how TMAT is viewed in the 20 whatever century. I guess maybe. I mean, if it was transferring oxygen from place to place, like <laughs> then I would maybe understand it. But if it's just like food and medical supplies, it, it, like when was the last time somebody ate have they not eaten for five days and then they were going to just about to get their food supplies from tmat when it shut down i that's the part that makes me kind of wonder a little bit maybe maybe people don't even have kitchens or like refrigerators everything is just tmatted in maybe they have tmat refrigerators and you open the door there's nothing in there and then you order it and and it appears it's like a dumbwaiter, but it's a TMAT dumbwaiter. Yes. That is that is exactly what TMAT is, and the entire earth is reliant on it. Mm-hmm. Just think of the master control somewhere that's like uh, like the computer going, oh, you know, Oslo, transfer, started, transfer, completed, like saying that for every single TMAT transaction on earth. It's kind of cool. I like this idea. I don't. That would be the worst thing. It would be talking nonstop. Well, there'd be lots of uh, different voices, probably mm-hmm. computer voices, just talking. I mean, I wouldn't want to put a human in that room, but you know. Yeah. Um, so poor Fushim is is having some dilemmas. Poor Fushim. He's oh my gosh, he's such a sniveling coward, mm-hmm. and you know he. We don't know if he could have stopped the entire thing by refusing to collaborate, but I mean, look at those ice warriors; they got clampy hands. Like, the chances of them being able to repair uh, the doodahs that were required is maybe maybe kind of slim. So mm-hmm. they could have at least slowed it down enough so that people on Earth could have um, prepared more or something. I don't know. It's just, yeah, Fushim is <sighs> such a little twerp. Fushim is weak. Yeah. He's, he's very weak. And, like, you know... I, it's hard to fault somebody who has that strong of a uh, desire to live, I guess. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the part that I really started to, to get truly annoyed with him is when the Earth people show up and, you know, Miss Kelly is there. And yes, the Ice Warriors are off in the distance, mm-hmm. you know, kind of watching. But he 100% plays along with what the Ice Warriors want him to do <clears throat> instead of, 
you know, as they're working, you know, very quietly saying to Miss Kelly, in fact, the truth is we've been taken over by aliens and they're trying to get to Earth and I don't know what their plan is. And I mean, we don't know entirely what this what those little pod things do yet. Uh, We know one of them knocked the doctor out or killed him. Mm -hmm. Um, But it didn't hurt Fushim, who was standing like five feet away. So, you know, that doesn't from what we've seen so far, that doesn't look super super threatening but what if each one of those things was like a thermonuclear device that was going to blow up an entire city i mean yeah fushim you get to live while every single other piece of form of life on the earth Mm -hmm. is killed everybody you've ever known and then you're probably going to end up dead too like isn't it worth it to just give up your life to save literally everyone on earth and he can't make he can't do that calculus that emotional like ethical calculus in inside him which makes me just sick a little bit well it's uh, when he when he talks to the doctor there when the doctor's sort of like you know i'm going to find out what's in in that box and you're going to help me mm-hmm. like just a very like direct or you're going to help me that's not even an order that's basically a statement of fact you are going to help me mm-hmm. and it reminded me of the prisoner, oddly enough, the prisoner uh, episode, whatever, checkmate, where, um, you know, where number six is sort of saying, you know, there are two kinds of people. There's the prisoners and there are the warders, mm-hmm. you know, uh, guardians or the pawns or something like that. And he's he runs around and he tries he builds up basically this little small army um, led by the rook in that little chess game near the beginning of the episode. And the Rook is basically following around wherever he goes. But then he, the Rook eventually surmises that number six is the one in power. And he's basically, the Rook doesn't have the ability to think or or do things for himself. He is always drawn to whatever the higher power in the room is. And so at first it's the ice warriors. Mm-hmm. Miss Kelly comes along and she's not as much of an authority as the ice warriors are in this instance, but the doctor is. And so he starts to follow the doctor briefly. Well, yeah. I mean, he follows the doctor briefly because of direct threats, which is yeah. exactly the way that the ice warriors yeah, got him too. Exactly. Because when the doctor says, you're going to help me, he still doesn't like no. fusion fusion refuses until the doctor points out, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then because you're not yeah. helping where we're, we're probably both going to get killed. And that's the only reason yeah. he helps. Yeah. And, th- and then as he goes along, so they write the bigger threat mm-hmm. basically is what he kowtows to. Yeah. Because he is like his life is the most important thing. His life is more important than anybody else's life. His life is more important than the planet that he comes from. I don't think, but he's not, I I know he says like, you know, I want to live, but it's almost like he says it very terrifyingly. I don't think he wants to live as much as he doesn't want to die because he's too (laughs) terrified to do that. And so he is doing whatever it takes to survive essentially. And he does not see the, the circumstances around him i don't he's not evil at all mm-hmm. he's just weak and that's what kind of makes him tragic in a way yeah he's not a big picture guy fuchsia nope. nope but uh what's well what's uh phipps phipps. phipps i like him a lot he looks like the sixth beetle um he's, <laughs> he's good looking he's got sort of like shaggy hair and he's very like 
um, clever. Mm-hmm. Yep, lots of ingenuity, as you said while yeah. we were watching. Yeah, because he, he he not only sets up the radio transmitter, but he sets up this like solar power killing machine to take <laughs> out a couple of ice warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which works, and I I appreciate how like I feel like in terms of doing things the smart way, like he sets up the booby trap first and gets that ready to go, and then sets up the radio thing and starts trying to call. The only thing that he does that I disagree with is having his back to the door while he's <laughs> over going over the radio and saying earth earth can you hear me mm-hmm. uh but that's that's clearly for staging purposes so he can be looking at the camera um but yeah so then when an ice warrior does show up he can quickly switch the plugs and turn on the booby trap and take out the ice warrior whereas on the other hand in terms of doing things the smart way around the doctor does not when they are in the rocket uh and and the doctor or Phipps finally gets through to the doctor and they start talking. The first thing the doctor does, silly doctor, is ask questions about what's going on on the moon? What's your emergency? Instead of trying to get the uh, the beacon turned back on mm-hmm. so that they can land. I feel like I love that, you know, I love that the doctor is so curious and wants to know what's going on. But in this case... Like, it's more important to get down there safe Mm -hmm. than it is to just, you know, like, you could die knowing that there are ice warriors on the moon. Congratulations. And I just feel like that conversation should have happened the other way around. Time and place, Doctor. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, Anything else about these two episodes that uh, enthralled and delighted you or made you question things? I like Miss Kelly, uh, especially Mm -hmm. in contrast to Fuchsia, because she right away says you're not going to get any help from me right. like i mean she does repair the t-mat but she doesn't know that she's doing it for the ice warriors she has no idea that they are there um i i kind of like her mouthing off to commander radnor mm-hmm. being like you stopped me from going once you didn't yeah. let me go in the rocket don't try to do it again or i shall go above your head oh, no. yeah so um and i mean it sounds like she is quite the uh, like, society at this point has gotten kind of dumb in terms of, okay, we, we're going to just absolutely rely on TMAT 100%. We don't need rockets. It's just TMAT all the time. And we're not going to have backups. We're just going to have this one lady who knows how to do stuff mm-hmm. and get things done. Because Commander Radner's like, if, you know, something happens to her, we're all doomed. Like, really? Uh, so I feel like their their checks and balances are not as strong as they should be. And uh, hopefully by the end of this adventure, uh, Earth society will sort of shape up a little bit and realize some of the, uh, the gaps that need to be filled. Yeah, I don't think, we don't know what time period this takes place in doing it's obviously just in the future i don't think we get a specific date i could be wrong about that well i mean it's it's after the space year of 2018 because we you know this this certainly isn't happening at the same time as uh, the enemy of the world so i feel like it's later than that but it's probably not as far off in the future as zoe that's true Mm -hmm. although zoe remembers like the old telepress um, carcass comics from the year 2000 so unless those are like old time there's Mm -hmm. Lots of crazy timelines in Doctor Who. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. Yeah, the only reason I ask is that maybe this is like the same Earth that gets taken over by the Daleks uh, in twenty one fifty ish around there because mm-hmm. they obviously see through the errors and mistakes of of their ways and says, "Oh well, we'll just we'll just take over this this species." They have one person who knows how their tenuous uh, matter transmission system works. Yeah, I think this is probably there's probably some weaknesses here we can exploit. <laughs> that makes sense, but I do. But like I said, I, I appreciate her. Um, 
managing to just first of all stand up to them to the ice warriors and then to get away and then we do have that chase sequence with them trying to chase down the doctor which i think would be entirely boring if it wasn't for all those delightful ramps up and down and this you know like the fun house and the fact that patrick troughton running is one of the most delightful things in the history of doctor who yeah, I I, uh, I actually recognize one of the um, shots there of Trouton running as a low angle shot as the uh, reference shot from the Invasion episode one or one of the four the the animated versions. Oh. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, I, that looks like a rotoscope shot, and sure enough, it was actually from Seeds of Death. They did that. So iconic is Trouton's running and his little like throwing his arms up yeah. and like running the other way when he runs into an ice warrior. It's all very comical. Yep. Um, speaking of, you mentioned low angle shot there. I really like the direction in in some of this. Uh, in episode two, you were commenting on some of the low angle shots, like th- from the uh, the angle of like through the ice warrior's legs and then mm-hmm. up toward Fushim as he's working. And um, toward the beginning, there's there's a really neat, like very quickly edited sequence of close-ups on the faces of you know Fushim and an ice mm-hmm. warrior and Phipps and somebody else and an ice warrior and like it's just bam 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 super fast cutting which is not a thing that you see in Doctor Who uh, even again for a very very long time I don't think well you see it when Michael De- Michael Ferguson directs ah, episodes I'll right. put it that way okay so that must be it because he's he's just doing a great job and I feel like there are a couple of other things that I noticed that were just sort of directorial touches and flourishes that really you know since we don't take notes on this show i can't remember what my other examples were but was it the high uh, crane shots at all because i i recognize those mm-hmm. they were probably the same shots that actually just were shooting the low angle shots too probably as well could be wrong about that but uh, i noticed i noticed these things well i mean I, I did like those but i feel like there was some other specific moment that was directorial and it was like flourishy was it the uh takeoff sequence of the rocket with uh you know check boom and there'd be like a cut to a thing and it was like shot through like the circular thing and it was the countdown and it was like you could see the countdown actually sort of like reflected on kelly's face yes yes so it, it wasn't so much the face in the circle and then the cut to whatever control panel that they were talking about because that kind of bothered me because <laughs> it was obviously cutting from a moving shot of somebody's face at you know asking a question about whether something's ready and then it cuts to what is clearly a photograph of a panel of controls that mean nothing right. to anybody so that I found slightly annoying but then when we yeah when we get to the actual countdown and the numbers are projected onto Miss Kelly's face the fact that the numbers are backwards I just that just delights me so much because it seems like that could have been the kind of thing that a lesser director would have said, yeah, we're going to project the numbers up onto her face mm-hmm. and it's going to be three, two, one, you know, and then you just have numbers on her face. But that wouldn't make any sense because then that would be backward to her. Yeah. And she's the person who's actually looking at these numbers. And I mean, no, I will admit it doesn't actually make sense for things to be projected up into yeah. her face because she wouldn't <laughs> be able to see it. But that one I'm going to let slide because of the fact that at least they are backward and it looks really cool. Yeah, reflective computer uh, yeah. monitors on people's faces or like space helmets has long been a trope in movies that really aren't accurate, but they look cool, don't they? They sure do, yeah. And here, just it, like it feels like this is maybe one of the earlier instances of that happening. So I was quite delighted by it. Me too. Mm-hmm. I'm quite delighted by this whole story. In fact, I'm really a fan of it. Mm-hmm. I am too. Like I was just thinking, you know, I always, I, I used to always have trouble uh, with the titles of Seeds of Death and Seeds of Doom and getting them mixed up 
to say, you know, one or the other. Uh, I don't think that that's the case anymore. And honestly, when it comes down to it, Season of Doom is a great, great story, but I think I like this one better. This is more traditional Doctor Who, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We haven't got to the Seeds of Doom yet, obviously, but... Mm-hmm. Well, you know, teaser for when we get to the Seeds of Doom. It's it's a cracking story, but it doesn't feel like your average Doctor Who. It's definitely farther off, you know, um, on the the fringes of, of what makes this what makes up the show Mm -hmm. whereas this feels like you know right in their classic base under cg alien invasion i don't know i just i just love it i just love it so much there's a lot of familiar troutonisms and trouton tropes in this story that just make it kind of just a a delightful greatest hits package in a way of of the trouton era up to this point Mm-hmm. Yep. And at this point, you know, we're halfway through and I don't feel like it's lagging. Nope. Um, I have not felt like there has been a lot of um, time that's that's been spent sort of padding. You know, maybe there were some external rocket sequences that, that went longer than they needed to. But whatever, that's that it wasn't too bad. Um, there's nothing egregious. And we still don't know exactly what's happening, nope. which is a nice thing. Like, it's not like they laid out their entire plan ahead of time and did the stupid um James Bond villain thing where they <laughs> like monologue their entire entire plan. So mm-hmm. so we've had a lot of action and we've had a lot of excitement and yet we still don't know what's coming so there's some mystery. It's uh, it's a good place to be. It is a good place to be. The best place to be is right next to you watching it. Aww, that's very sweet. I feel like I should just roll my eyes at that but no, I feel like that's very sweet and I like it. Aww. We have three more episodes to go. We're not watching anymore tonight because we're tired. Uh, prob- no, yeah. <laughs> I, get the, I get the head shake, so oh, that's a no. The look that he gave me was just like, uh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's right. Uh, but we have three more episodes to go. I don't know if we'll, if we'll watch the three episodes before we head off to Gallifrey 1 this week. It would be great if we could, but uh, th- the prepping for Galley and the packing and the stress yeah. uh, uh, before travel uh, means that there's less chance of that happening. So who knows? Yeah, but that's that more of my way of segueing to the fact that we're going to go to Gallifrey 1. We are going to go to Gallifrey 1. Yay! Yeah, we are. Uh, we'll be there and doing stuff and things, and I think we might even record... A lazy Doctor Who something there. Mm, might be a special members only special something. So uh, stay tuned for more information about that as it becomes available. Hashtag teaser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hashtag teaser, hashtag we hope it actually happens. Hashtag DMAT for the seeds of death. <laughs> sure. If you say so, I do. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, if well, if, if we if we do more episodes before Gallifrey One, that's awesome. But if we don't, uh, maybe we'll see some of you kind listeners there uh, at the convention. Yeah, that would be that would be great. Please, uh, you know, this is like this is the podcast I think for both of us that we very much kind of do for ourselves because mm-hmm. we would just be doing this anyway. So we talk into a microphone and we send it off into the void sort of in a much bigger way than any of our other podcasts. So like I have never even asked how many downloads this podcast gets. I have no idea what the listenership is like. I appreciate all of the uh, the tweets, you know, the interaction on Twitter that we get. That's that's wonderful. Um, but, you know, I have no idea if that's representative. Uh, you know, maybe we have how many how many followers do we have on Twitter now? Close to 900, I think. Wow. So, you know, maybe we have 900 listeners. Maybe we have way more than that. Not a clue. So if you see us and want to say hi, please don't hesitate. Yes, please do. We will not run away. 
screaming as if we were Patrick Trutton running away from an ice warrior <laughs> in the quarters of the moon base in the seas of death. Except maybe just for comic um, and then relief and then we'd turn around and come back and say hi. Yes, please don't take offense if I run <laughs> off and then don't, and if I do come back. If I don't come back, it means I just got lost in the um, LAX Marriott. Well, that could also happen. Yeah, very much so. All right. Uh, well, until next time, folks, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye.